0: Then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts.
2: Hey, thanks to everyone who donated to our Patreon campaign so far. If you would like to donate and get some real cool free shit, go to patreon.com slash lastpodcast on the left. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. (laughs) That's
1: when the cannibalism started. What was that? Have we st- are we still young, or are we old? So. I know my dad, if he could, would walk around with a mirror tape to his shoe, walking around looking up girls' skirts and doing pranks on the back of a bus. I know that he would. <laughs> <laughs> All right,
0: welcome to the last podcast on the left, everyone. I am Ben Kissel, staring at the beautiful Marcus Parks. Hey-o. With us as always, Henry Zabrowski. H- Henry. Henry. Henry!
1: (laughs) Sorry, I'm just the sheriff of the Houston Police Department. I didn't hear a rich man get murdered. That's fun. That's commentary. No, poor people got killed. Don't worry about it. Go back to sleep. (laughs) So fast. Mm -hmm. Only to have the ease of mind of a sheriff of Houston.
2: Oh, yeah. Just the lack of concern. We're on to part two of Dean Coral. Oh, yeah. And this is the part where we're going to find out just How this man, along with two accomplices, killed 28 kids, mostly in the same neighborhood, over a period of just three years. A berserker kill streak
1: that lasted three years. Highly organized, kept under secret, and also... To be honest If we're looking at Prime real estate of, of victims too Of being like Strong young men And like they are going Missing off the street mm-hmm. And uh, nobody Thought to look about them Because they just thought Everybody was going to Join the carnival Like it's fucking Pinocchio <laughs> Right um, And nobody's going to There is no magical carnival There is no Something wicked This way comes carnival I wish there was Because I would be there
0: Yeah 28 kills in 3 years Ask yourself What are you doing To achieve your dreams <laughs> My God. Well, I hope to go to DeVry for toilet repair. For toilet repair? That's a job that never goes out of business. As a matter of fact, if my child wanted to do that, I'd be
1: all in. Yep. Toilet prepare. That's what I do. I make sure that the bolts are tight because
2: there's nothing worse when you sit down in a toilet and the toilet seat gets all swivelly. That's a great (laughs) job. Now, to this day, Houston is no stranger to crime, ranking number three on the FBI's Most Dangerous Cities in Texas report that was released just last year. But specifically, Houston has a long and storied history in the crime of Murder. Mm. In 1957, Houston had the highest per capita murder rate in the country, earning the rapidly growing metropolis, the nickname Murder City. Gotta move there. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Honey, should we move to Tulsa or Utah or Murder
1: City? (laughs) Well, which is the city that's got murder in the title of it? Because as you know... I am a murderer, and I hope to achieve higher
2: degrees of success in my my, my hierarchy of murder. Well, Daryl, we're going to Texas. Woo! Yeah. In 1966, before Houston had even a million people, the city had five dozen more victims of homicide than in all of England, which had a population of 54 Million. because mm. and that's why we kicked those wussies <laughs> out of this country. That's right. In 1970, the year in which Coral began his three-year murder spree, Houston had dropped from number 1 to number 3 in the highest murder rate per capita in the nation, being surpassed only by Dallas and Atlanta. Hmm. At one
1: point as mayor of Houston, when the numbers kind of drop, it's like when you're number 1 in only one thing. Right. A- any slip and whatever the category is makes you
0: very upset. That's right. As mayor of Houston, I guarantee we get the murder rights back to number
2: one. He starts handing chainsaws out to postal workers. <laughs> you get a chainsaw. You get a chainsaw. In his 1971 book, Houston, the Once and Future City, author George Fuhrman recorded a popular limerick that was going around the city at the time in houston we feel no aversion when others are casting
1: aspersion we never mind much the murders and such we take them as a weekend aversion
0: so what did it take to make texans do poetry murder (laughs) it just took mass murder and they're like i think we're gonna get into poetry i'm Um, also
1: very upset that new york doesn't have a limerick (laughs) that we all know about
2: it so you're asking why was murder so prevalent in houston there's a myriad of reasons. One, the town still very much had a frontier spirit about it, with all the violence that comes along with such a spirit. But it still was a modern city in modern times. Right. <laughs> Can you have a
0: frontier spirit if there's a supermarket right down the yeah.
1: street? Were barbers still surgeons? <laughs> right. Were they still just, if you had a cut, would a guy splash moonshine on it? And like, get out of here, faggot. Yeah. I feel like they just use that as, a, as a an boy. excuse. I'm a boy. I have lymphoma. <laughs> Just dumping bourbon all over his head. I went to the doctor with lymphoma
0: and he just gave me a bowl cut.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it wasn't that far removed. Uh, I mean, you still had cowboys and Indians, you still had guys riding on horses up until the 1910s. You guys have played Red Dead Redemption. You know how that goes. Ex- yes, I remember that when Houston turns into zombies. <laughs>
1: 1865. <laughs> the, the year yeah. was Red Dead Redemption was set in. No. This is 1970, blah, blah, blah. They had a Kmart. They had they had red lights spe- or blue light specials to go
2: to. <laughs> well, of course, not just did it add the frontier spirit, it also had a ridiculously high gun ownership rate. In fact, the vast majority of deaths in Houston were by gun. Or not deaths, murders. The vast majority of murders in Houston also, were the, by gun. The mm. city was exploding. Yeah. Uh, the the book, of uh, the man with a candy
1: really illustrates this beautifully at the beginning. It's really awesome. But he was talking about how the this there was all of this, not only oil money, but every sort of industry in the world was moving there. There was yeah. gigantic. The, the Astrodome was built. All of those huge, they called it the eighth wonder of the world. Mm. All these crazy construction projects happening. And so at one point, there like happened what happened in New York City, there was a gigantic influx of money in there, which of course mm-hmm. immediately sets off the statuses of everybody. That makes the poor extra, extra poor, and the rich extra, extra rich. Shades and,
2: of H.H. Holmes as well, right? Somewhat. Uh, and this sort of thing is still happening in Texas to this day. It's happening in Midland, Odessa right now. Midland, Odessa is in the middle of a big oil boom. Guess what the most dangerous city in Texas is right now? Hmm. Odessa. Oh. This happens over and over again. This is a, this is definitely a pattern uh, in the state of Texas. Well, I'm just so happy. This is the
0: episode where I found the name for my firstborn daughter, Odessa. <laughs> Odessa Kessel, come
1: over here. I can just imagine you're hunched back 270 <laughs> Pound daughter, <laughs> what is it, dad?
0: <laughs> oh, you're beautiful to me, Odessa. Why don't you go run around nude in the street see if you can find a <laughs> husband,
2: <Okay>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Kissel? We've returned your, gr- your daughter. Your daughter,
2: well, really, uh, you know, really, the biggest problem in Houston was their grossly understaffed police force. In 1970, cops in Houston numbered 2,200 in a city of 1.3 million, Mm. half the absolute minimum required to police such a population. And in addition to being understaffed, the force was also underpaid, with many cops having to take outside jobs to make ends meet. But Mm. the biggest injustice is that this was a problem that had a very easy, Very simple solution. Federal funds to beef up the force were readily available, but police chief Herman Short high on that frontier spirit, refused any and all assistance, calling any federal assistance whatsoever a quote-unquote handout. A mm. true American.
1: I like this guy.
0: <laughs> so it must be interesting if you are if you're on the police force one morning, but then at night, uh, you're the garbage man. Yeah. So like someone would be like, I need some help, officer. I've been robbed. He's like, yeah, I'm here to pick up trash. <laughs> Get back to me in eight ah, hours
1: when I'm on my cop shift. Sorry, I'm on no sleep whatsoever. I left a badge on. This badge is useless while I'm a garbage man. Just these garbage litter... <laughs> Shifting hands are the only thing I can use, but I still carry my gun. (laughs) Isn't that something?
2: I shoot the tires. Mm. And, you know, not surprisingly, Herman Short, the police chief who, you know, refused all these federal funds, he resigned pretty shortly after Dean Curl's body count broke the previous record of 25 that was set a couple years earlier Mm. by murderer of migrants, Juan Corona, who we're definitely going to cover.
1: Again, Mm. accept what you're best at. Be like, I'm the number one sheriff at letting 29 (laughs) young, strong men get murdered in my city. Yeah. something. No,
2: because of that staff problem, the workload that officers faced was so stacked that a lot of them just threw up their hands and gave up, which is a very human reaction. You're faced with this overwhelming workload. You don't know where to start. It just keeps coming in. You just stop. Mm -hmm. You just can't approach it whatsoever. And cops... Even started making a game to see who could leave work the earliest. Because they would they would see who could leave the work earliest, and then they would pass
1: the buck of different, like, basically, if they got an assignment for the day, they would just leave it on somebody else's desk as they were walking out. Also, Homicide, which is really interesting, also had to cover 55 other types of crime. 56. It's insane. They right. literally had to sit, and they, 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 they were covering, like... Treason, like all this, like ridiculous <laughs> right. horseshit that they had to cover all at once, and so m- murder was the last thing they were looking at.
2: Well, they had to cover every crime in which greed was not a motive. So they had assault, battery, rape, not to mention murder. And you know how many yeah. homicide detectives they had? Forty-two. One point three million people. Forty-two guys covering every single violence-related crime. So basically when you say greed you mean theft, right? I mean theft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. any sort of theft, uh anything like that. Like that was a complete like that was beat cops. That was a different division. But homicide was in charge of anything related to violence. Uh and because of this, homicide detectives generally ignored everything that wasn't a murder. Anything and everything that wasn't a murder did not get any attention. In fact, if a woman called at the police, like, hey, my husband's beating me. I need someone to come out. The police would say, like, well, actually, you need to come down to the station to report that. We can't send anyone out there. Right. And... Really, what would happen with the murders, uh, since there were so few people and so many murders, usually the murders didn't even really get that much attention. Uh, Those that weren't investigated, they called them uh, misdemeanor murders, Uh, and that was reserved for black victims or very poor white victims. Uh, and other murders, they would get at the most 2 days of investigation with most murders only getting an hour or two before the police just moved on. And honestly, right. half
1: the homicide detectives were actively investigating the murder of JR on Dallas.
2: That's right. I believe that's true.
1: So basically the
0: cops would be like, "Oh, I'm sorry, ma'am, your husband's mur- murdered. I'm going to do everything I can. Did you do it? Did you do it? Did you do it? Did you do you did it?" Did you do it? Did you do it? You got a chance. You got two chances to tell me if you did it? Did you do it? Did you did you even inve- did you investigate the case? Yeah. Did you do the Did you ask Did you do the Did you do it? Yeah, I did it two times. You did the Oh, you did it twice. Okay, oh, that's, that's all I can do. That is literally what... all I can do. Once you change into your garbage man clothes, then you're fine to go.
1: <laughs> Look, you know I figured out how to solve the Rubik's cube. is you just take up all the stickers and put them all the colors on the same side.
2: <laughs> Dumb Yankees couldn't figure that out. Well, the neighborhood where Dean Coral carried out his murder spree was filled with people that would have been classified as misdemeanor murders. One journalist, he said about the Heights, no newsmakers live here, no wealthy, no civic leaders, no socialites. It is a sad, tired place. I do
1: find interesting about the Heights is the reason why the Heights was called the Heights is that because, I mean, Houston's flat. Right, And it was something like only five meters above sea line. Mm -hmm. So back in the day, there was these strikeouts of yellow fever. And so what they would do is they they would literally be like, let's run to the hills where the fever can't catch us (laughs) legitimately. And they would go to the heights because they thought that that would make it – because that was the highest place in the area, and they thought they would be above the sickness. You just take a, (laughs) a big step up,
2: and then you're like, "It can't get to me now. Well, and Jack Olson. Uh, Author of The Man with the Candy, he described it as a place, quote, where one could imagine retarded children or senile ants locked away in attic crawls, muttering in the shadows.
0: Mm, And what an imagination that is. That's fun.
2: (laughs) That's where Marcus grew up. Isn't that nice? (laughs) No. Which one were you, Marcus? (laughs) Uh, Well, I mean, (laughs) muttering in the shadows. (laughs) Definitely. definitely yeah, yeah but bad. we didn't have an attic in our house so fuck oh. you henry <laughs> not bad <laughs> all right that's one way to avoid it <laughs> but surprisingly the heights was not a high-crime neighborhood, the worst criminal the Heights had seen before Dean Coral was a man that was known locally as the Heights Phantom. And the Phantom's MO was to appear naked at the doors of women before running off, cackling into the shadows.
1: Bye, bye. Goodbye, see ya, bye. <laughs> woo, woo, woo. <laughs> woo, woo. Oh, my Dowsing rod says there's water in here. <laughs> woo, woo, woo. Alright, bye.
0: Man, just have to ask, did he fart as he ran away?
2: Oh, you know he did. That's the Phantom. <laughs> but it's Seemed like the fart made him go faster. That is the Phantom, ma'am. And when the Phantom was captured, he was just as quickly released and told to, quote, pull himself together. I can imagine a cop just grabbing a guy with
1: no clothes on and just a trench coat on and just like ruffling him up by the shirt and being like, come on, all right, get this shit together, all right? Come on, come on, think about what you're doing, okay? It's like a
0: frustrated
2: father. <laughs> and there were criminals in the Heights, of course, thieves and such, but... The Heights, there was nothing to steal in the Heights. So the criminals, they would go to other neighborhoods. People would know, like, yeah, you know, you know, Jeff he steals shit, he's a thief, but he ain't stealing for me, and he ain't stealing from my neighbor. But they said right. also, so, whatever. An, the other thing, too, mm. is that the
1: criminals lived in the Heights. That's, like, where yeah. they lived. Right. So they didn't, f- ro- they didn't shit where they ate. Right. Yeah. And also, the whole town was connected, like, very, it was very familial. Everybody knew each other for forever, for generation after generation. So, it's that common thing where you walk into what is essentially a bad neighborhood. Like, in New York, you see a lot. Like, what Bed-Stuy used to be like. Mm-hmm. Where the Bed-Stuy, everybody assumed, yo, you go there, you're gonna and get mugged. They'd be like, no, that's just where the muggers live. Right.
2: <laughs> this is actually the safest area in town. Yes. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, and the thing is, even if someone didn't live there forever, just people generally trusted each other. Like, they just didn't really question the motives of other people. As long as you were clean cut, and as long as you didn't embarrass yourself, then you were good You were mm-hmm. welcomed Into the community And as for the teenagers Of the Heights uh, The kids and the parents That had a bit of A gentleman's agreement Going on This is how one kid put it As long as we keep up Our And don't embarrass everybody We can pop all the pills And smoke
1: all the grass We want I look normal sure and they'll accept any of my friends that looked normal they don't really have that much of a choice they know I could get up in the morning and hitch all the way to California and they never see me again
0: yeah I love
1: the uh, they used like the the threat
0: of them leaving. As the reason for them to be terrible. But it, yeah. that's what
1: they're talking about at the time. This is the reason why Dean Coral ended up getting away with what he did for so long, is that there were so many runaways, because you're in this right. shit-fuck town in the middle of Texas, and the, the basically, if I lived there, the first thing I would do every day is wake up and be like, how the fuck do I get out of here? <laughs> right. And one a really quick way is to meet Dean Coral and his two teenage boys, and they'll get you out of there real
2: fast. In a body bag. <laughs> yeah, this was the perfect place. For Dean Corl to operate. He could not have asked for better killing grounds.
1: Well we talk about this is again this is an, a common example of it's what what happened uh with um uh, Edmund Kemper. It happened like these the same things. It's these idyllic little towns where the it's the perfect it's it's Vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. It's ready for somebody to come in and take advantage of these social agreements that everybody set up. I mean, like, well, this kind of shit just doesn't happen
2: here. Yeah. It's the nah. That's what everyone says. Like, well, maybe, have you noticed all these kids going missing? I don't know. Maybe someone's behind this and everyone just goes, Nah. nah, I saw
1: Becky Sue wobbling a little bit more the other day. I think they were just running train over her by the water tower.
0: <laughs> we got to do something. It seems like a very fun place to be a teenager. I have to say. And you meanwhile, i can get stoned all day. Yeah, right? yeah. And Becky
1: Sue is just being like, "Where's all these boys who used to run train on me?" Yeah,
0: that's it She's the real victim here.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all in one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy to use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto generated.
2: And fast-growing trees has given me some wonderful plants that I can use. Like I got this uh, Texas sage, it's purple. I've dug up a whole bunch of horrible bushes and shrubs up in front of my window and in front of my house and put some purple Texas sage up there and it's going to thrive and it's going to look real good. Now I didn't even have to go to a nursery to buy it. It came to my house. Now, let's get back to the story of Dean Coral. With the candy factory officially out of business, Dean started working full time at Houston Power and Lighting, testing electrical relays, and he moved into a shed across the street from Cooley Elementary School. Mm. And there, he installed a blacklight, a TV, a stereo, and a primitive alarm system that would flash a red light in his bedroom where anyone to show up at his shed Unannounced Party house I mean he This is a A web Like that He is a spider Attracting flies He knows exactly What he's doing He's been doing this Since the candy factory Well think about Mm -hmm. Michael Jackson Creating the stuffed bear room That it led to the side Well Michael Jackson Wasn't a pedophile Whatever he was. I have was. to agree with Marcus <laughs> well, let's just one, we're say, not going to get into that right now. Let's just
1: call him the greatest child entertainer of all time. Let's okay. call him the Tina Turner private dancer of all child he entertainers. He
2: didn't do it. The teddy bears weren't for the kids. The teddy bears were for him. He we're not starting great- the conversation about Michael Jackson right now. He
1: was a great host He was for wonder- children. <laughs> but the idea is that you build this place. What else does a 15-year-old Texas run almost Every runaway, Pretty not runaway. even
2: Texas. This is every teen in 1970. Yeah. This is every teenager he's in America. He's literally got
1: all the coolest shit you want. He's technically used to have a pool table, which means at any point he could have another pool. <laughs> That's table. right. He's got a black light, cool, <laughs> done, awesome. Led Zeppelin with a black light going. That's you're done. Boom. A full on TV, yes, and he's got a security light, boys. Spend an hour just going to be like, is light on yet? Oh, wait, right, let me get, let me run away farther. Is light on yet? All right, let me run closer. Let me grow. Is light yeah. on yet? Hick, yeah. Damn, that is just the funnest goddamn way to, these handcuffs are getting real tight, Dean.
0: It'll happen. Yeah, all you need is a black light and a couch and the uh, and allowing them, and allowing people to use drugs in your house. And yeah. It's the coolest house for a 15 year old to be in. Yeah, hey,
1: mm-hmm. you can straight up rape any boy in there that you want. Yeah. Well,
2: yeah, so still... you just got to set it up. <laughs> Dad, you put well, in there, put some no, chips. I don't know. Well, really, I mean, most of the boys who regularly, hung out at Dean's place. They had fond-ish memories of the time that they spent there. They said that he was kind of weird. A lot of the kids noticed that he got a little giddy around the teenage boys. Uh, But for the most part, uh, they said that uh, they thought Dean was just a quote-unquote good dude. Well, another thing Mm -hmm. they said about him were that he was completely and totally anonymous and seemed like a
1: shadow. That was the other way they sort of put it. We'll go with that more when the trio was all together. But he was also like a nobody. Mm-hmm. They were like you. They went to his house and partied all the time, and they would go and they would like do whatever. But Dean was just kind of a puppeteer, or like around them, like kind of being like, "Oh, here's a toy, and here's some weed, and here's I, some booze." Yeah. But
0: didn't we all have a house like this that we used to go to in our in our teens? I mean, I yeah. know for a fact there was a house that was owned by a twenty seven year old who I believe was still a freshman in college, and we would go over there and, and do everything we ever wanted to do. And now yeah. that I think about it, he was relatively creepy.
2: Yeah, we had a ton of people. Like we had so many older dudes that were in their early to mid-twenties, some of them in their late-twenties, early thirties, just buy beer for all the kids. And they would hang out with all the kids and the kids at the time. You're
1: like, oh, yeah, he's cool. But every once in a while when you're hanging around Tom and it's like fucking maybe like two or three in the morning, you're just like, you know, Marcus,
2: you're one of the good ones.
1: You know <laughs> yeah. that? You no, know they, they, they fucked the
2: teenage girls. Uh, like they, uh, those yeah. were the guys yeah. that were fucking like the 16, 17-year-old girls that we, it was a love-hate relationship mm-hmm. because they'd buy us beer, but then they'd also take all of the, the girls, and there was not that many girls. It there, was uh, There were 12 kids in the class. There were five girls. So nope. they're rapists, essentially. The
1: 30-year-olds
0: yes. having sex with 16-year-olds. I never realized how creepy Matthew McConaughey's character was in uh, Dazed and Confused yeah. until right now. <laughs> this is exactly what
1: he was doing. See, Natalie grew up; had a punk house, so it was same like that. But they, all the guys never had sex with the kid. There was no sex in the house. It was just yeah. more like trash and stuff and throwing things around. But I think it's a punk thing. Well, a punk, a punk's That's totally different.
2: different. Punk, they've got ideals and shit like that. Like so, they're trying to make, they're trying to make a point. I a bad a, point it's But true. they're trying yeah. To make a point I got you know? out of the
0: punk movement As soon as they realized There are more rules In the punk movement Than most prisons <laughs> I mean it's crazy How many rules there are Please. Apparently you can't Get over six foot three Otherwise you're out So <laughs> I'm four inches Too tall I swear to God As soon as I got tall They're like You are intimidating us You better go I can see,
1: like, okay. see The children's book now Like the saddest Tallest punk, punk. Yeah, yeah exactly. You guys through And be like All the jeans I saw they are long On everybody else Are fit perfect on me I look square I don't need green <laughs> hair to stand
2: out <laughs> no as far as we know dean didn't kill any kids during these two years from 1968 to 1970 when kids were kind of coming in and out and hanging out at his house with the cool black light and the alarm uh nor did his parties get as rowdy as they would down the line when his crew was complete what we do know is that this is when dean would pick up his first accomplice david brooks now he is a weird looking kid super weird and he's also the one that we know the least about because Mm. he's the one he's still alive he's still in prison but he will not talk to anybody will not talk and even his confessions were kind of curt Mm. like he only confessed to so much but yeah wayne henley will talk to anybody oh he's a he is a a bit of a whore the camera and i would also
1: say wayne henley kind of coerced uh kind of coerced David Brooks into confessing with him. Mm-hmm. Wayne Henley kind of pulled them all in. Again, this is a part of the reason why, like, I just feel like if you're going to be killing a bunch of boys, a lot of times you're going to have a couple of boy henchmen, and I think that John Wayne Gacy probably also had a couple of boy henchmen, mm. but they were wise enough slash stupid enough to not tell anybody. Is it, yeah.
0: uh, what is it if you don't speak as opposed to speaking, what's more egotistical, uh, you know, like what's worse?
1: What, claiming the crime, saying oh, I did it? Or That's just like ref- a terrorist.
0: Or just refusing to talk about it, though. It's either then, then the victims' families get
1: no closure. Or well, anything because like that. refusing to talk about it makes you a good criminal and a bad person. Talking about the crimes and owning them technically makes you a showboat, but it, in some queer way, you can change it for yourself that you're giving people validation and right. closure.
2: Well, I've got some theories about David Brooks that we're probably going to get into on uh, on the next episode. Right. As far as uh, your question goes, there, Ben, but we still we need to get a little bit more information about the guy before we it. really get into it. Now, Brooks was, of course, from. From a broken home and had known Dean from the time that David was 10 years old, back when Dean was just the nice man with the candy across the street from his school. But now that Dean was finally away from the prying eyes of his mother and the other candy factory employees, he could finally give in to the urges that have been just barely kept under wraps for so many years.
1: And now we're going to see, how, again, how many killers that were really close with their family and how... It's, it's, it's sort of like they, they can't blossom. Because what they say about Dean before is that he was incredibly polite. He would never say no. He, was, he would do anything his mother asked him to do. He was devoted son, devoted to his family, devoted to the candy business. And then as soon as she was gone, same thing with Ed Gein, same thing sort of with Jeffrey Dahmer when he finally moved away from his family. When you finally start seeing them being like, I'm free, I'm free. I can finally like let my hair down and, mm-hmm. and I, can get the, I can get those toe rings. I right. see all the other girls have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to clarify, there is never a nice guy who works in the
0: chocolate factory across from the school. Not, never Never a nice never, never trust once. him. Never do it. No, no do not.
1: Uh, any parent, again, do not trust the man who sells candy ever. They are killers. They are killers. <laughs> if, <they're laughs> some
0: rapists. If you are a mayor of a small town and there is a candy factory across from a school. Shut it down. Shut it down. <laughs> shut
1: one of them down. But first of all, just but get all the candy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and keep it in
2: yourself and sit on it like you're Willy Wonka. That's right. Coral uh, started taking advantage of the 14-year-old Brooks, paying him Sometimes five dollars, sometimes ten dollars for blowjobs, Dean giving. Brooks taking, and Brooks' former attorney, a man named Jim Skelton, said that Brooks absolutely idolized Dean, uh, who Brooks said was the first person to accept him for who he was, because Brooks' father, like, pretty much hated him. He called him a sissy, he said that, you know, he he was no son of his, uh, and really, like, Dean Curl was the, he said he was the first one to ever be nice to him. I mean, David's father was dead
0: wrong. If I was David, I'd be like, I am getting paid to have my dick sucked. Do you have any <laughs> with that What is more masculine like, than that?
2: How fucking kick-ass that? How motley crew is that? Are you crazy? <laughs> now, less than a year after their first quote-unquote encounter, David Brooks moved in with Dean Coral and would soon become one of Dean Corll's two accomplices. It all began in mid-December 1970 when Brooks walked in on... Unannounced on Dean molesting two young boys who were tied to Dean's infamous torture board. While we don't know if the torture board cops eventually found was the original, the final design was seven the final design was a seven by three foot inch slab of thick, unpainted plywood mm. with holes drilled into each of the four corners. Handcuffs were used for the wrists, while the ankles were bound with nylon rope. The boys would be sexually assaulted and tortured for hours, sometimes days, until they were finally put out of their misery by either strangulation or a simple shot to the head with a pistol. My
1: name's Dan Trathers, and I have made several of these boards with the handcuffs at the top and the nylon cords at the bottom. And they were never meant, to ever once, to be used as a torture rack in any way, shape, or form. It was to be used. It was supposed to be used to simulate riding a sled in your imagination. <laughs> And I am appalled that mm-hmm. my invention of a um, that came from a childhood dream of mine in the sandy deserts of the middle of Texas. Right. And I could never see snow. Yearn to sled because of pictures I've seen on the side of Christmas cookie containers. And I invented this, what I like to call the ready sled. Right. <laughs> Um, and I am just, I cannot believe the way my dream has been turned into a nightmare.
0: How much money have you made, uh, as sell, selling the sled? With Dean Coral? Yeah.
1: $75 million. Isn't that something? <laughs> selling them in Mumbai. Isn't that oh, right? Oh yeah, they're just like hotcakes. China, hotcakes. Are
0: they using, are they being used as torture racks, do you think, or?
1: I have found it useful to my liberty to elect <laughs> to not ask certain questions. Oh good,
0: yeah. That reminds me of the person who invented the drone. we talked about it on top yeah. of. That, for tuna fishermen. And now you can see what they're doing.
2: 5,000 dead bodies later. Yep. Now, Brooks, upon initially walking in on Dean Coral in the middle of one of these sessions, turned around and left immediately, stayed away for a day or two. But having no place else to go, Brooks returned to the house where Dean explained to him. ...that he was just a part of a child pornography ring... ...and that he had been paid to produce child pornography... ...oh, it's a job... ...oh, I'm so sorry I judged you... ...and then
1: after that, he just shipped him off to California... ...yeah, and they were going to the the child
2: pornography ranch in the sky... (laughs) ...where they could run and Uh play... (laughs) ...but at some point, we don't really know why... ...but at some point, Coral just fessed up and told Brooks... ...that actually, no, he wasn't a part of a child pornography ring... He was actually just a murderer, just a plain old murderer. It's just, but, but you how know, nefarious is are your actions
0: if the excuse is it's just part of a child pedophile ring, <laughs> like in that's that's the cover
1: up lie. Well, he started with it, but it's how you it's how you grade it out. He started by telling him he was a human trafficker. Yeah. And then he mm. was selling these guys in from other countries, and he was helping them emigrate. Like, that was one story. Then it turned into child pornography. Then it turned into being like, well, you know, I, I am not as regal as all I've said before. <laughs> uh-huh. But now, the, but what's really interesting with, with Brooks is that- by now, it's just he's just in too far. Right. Now it's like what he can do then is sort of being like it's a, he can relax his cover story and be like, okay, no, I can do this because now he can see he's ready to flip
2: yeah. and he can use him to be his accomplice. Yeah, and Coral's hold over Brooks, it, this, his hold had to have been so powerful because the next time that Coral struck was on December 13th, 1970, and Brooks was right there alongside to help him. Well, and the same thing as we said about Charles Manson, and I'll say this too about Dean
1: Corll, I don't believe that anybody is a perfect puppeteer. I don't no. think anybody's a puppet master. I don't think anybody is that, in, like... It, Inscrutable of a Svengali, right? Mm. I think a lot of times these people are already fifty percent of the way there. They already have the right. impulses, and you, and you, as a person who's been watching kids and profiling kids and grooming kids to be your victims for fucking twenty years, now look at someone being like, I see the mirror image of myself. I know that if I talk with this guy, we can we can hook up. It's kind of like meeting somebody that you're in a band with or in a sketch comedy group with, where you meet someone be like, we. You're click. equating
0: getting. Murder Fist together That you guys did In theater school In college With Dean Coral Collecting boys To then murder other boys It's all boys. collaboration man. I see Okay Which is a bit of a One does sketch comedy And sort of makes people
2: laugh But you click But you click Right no. it, Yeah Now, in addition to the emotional hold that Coral had over Brooks, there was a financial aspect of the relationship as well. Coral told Brooks that he would give him $200 for every boy that he could lure back to their apartment, and Brooks took to the idea almost immediately. Mm -hmm. And besides just the money, Brooks was also rewarded with a 1968 Green Corvette on his 16th birthday, ensuring his loyalty for years to come.
0: Right, and also, I mean, when you mention David Brooks, he's in too deep, similar to what People theorize about like Bohemian Grove and places like that. Once you see people make, you know, do atrocities to uh, another person or you know, skull and bones, then you're now implicated in it as
1: well. So yeah. what are you
2: supposed to do? You're an accessory to the crime. Oh, right. but that's
1: what he. That's what he did with Wayne Hendley. Wayne Hendley talks about that after. We'll talk about that. But he's basically said like Dean Corll is like, well, you're already accomplice to murder. So right. well, as soon as I confess that the guys that you've been showing up with, I've been murdering. You're already done. You're already in. So you might that's as well right. get your jollies with it. And you also know if you play along, you. probably— probably won't end up on the torture rack. Yeah. As long as true. you're looking at the torture rack,
2: you're not going to end up <laughs> yeah. on the torture yeah. rack. And that's just looking. probably. Yeah. That, that's not guaranteed. That's just probably. And again,
0: these Houston cops are just like, did you do it? And if David Brooks would go in and be like, hey, I have to report a crime, they'd be like, did you do it? He'd be like, yes. And then they'd just arrest him. Oh, yeah, he's done. There. He's already done. Yeah, it's yeah.
2: all locked in. So the first murders that we know that Brooks participated in was that of James Glass and Danny Yates. Glass had been to Dean's house before hanging out and was actually a friend of david brooks so it wasn't any big deal to him you know brooks pulled up he's like hey we're hanging out at dean's you want to come and the two kids were like yeah let's go and james and danny would also be the first boys that brooks would help bury in coral's infamous boat shed dean had rented a dirt floor storage facility just a few months before this double murder and this storage facility was conveniently located less than a mile from where Dean works. And this also,
1: again, mm. shows the... the, the impenetrable like lack of interest of someone who's getting paid four dollars an hour to work at the storage shed facility while dean corals coming in and out covered in sweat with shovels being like just making the storage shed deeper just gotta make it deeper you know sometimes you're just like oh i'm looking at this shed and it could be a fuck ton more deeper you know what i'm saying you know the guy is just flipping a magazine not hearing anything
0: Yeah, he just flips a quarter on the way out and tells the guy to keep the change, and the guy's like, this technically is change.
2: Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) and it also kind of—this is a a weird thing about Dean Corll is that it was less than a mile from where he worked, so he could dispose of bodies on his way to work. He could just put one of the bodies in his van, take it out there, take care of a a quick errand before going and testing relays for eight hours— Mm-hmm. So I got to wake up twenty minutes early for work tomorrow. Got to dispose the body before
1: I go in. Am I talking out loud? <laughs> oh, David, Oh, I got to come clean to you. Oh. <laughs> ah, Jules. Oh, Jules, make a wife smile today. The road to getting engaged can be long and full of memories and pitfalls and landmines. Or it can be short and thrilling, like a roller coaster on the way to the police department. But the road to finding the perfect engagement ring is a straightforward path every time. All you've got to do is head over to BlueNile.com and they're going to ship them rocks straight to your wife's new fingers. On BlueNile.com, you can create a bigger, more brilliant piece than you can imagine. At a price you won't find at a traditional jeweler. Blue Nile is the original online jeweler since 1999. That's present time to me. Their diamond price guarantee means that in most cases, they can meet or beat a competitor's price on a comparable diamond. I know when I got my wife a beautiful Blue Nile necklace, the first thing she did was, what did you do? But afterwards, she was so happy to have it and she loved it and she wore it when we went on vacation. And my own did everybody come around being like, Where'd you get that piece, you beautiful woman? And I was like, Stop talking to my wife. She's spoken for. You can see it with the Blue Nile bling. She's got on her. Right now, get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more with code lastpodcast at bluenile.com. That's $50 off with code lastpodcast at bluenile.com. Bluenile.com. How many platforms do I work on? So many platforms, can you believe it? Google Docs, work on that. Very complicated. Lots of different things going out. Clickety-clack, right? Slack, saying things to my employees. All, my, all my, my main dolgers walking around here. Make sure it changes cluck to the word I meant for it to say to everyone, but I try to say... Not curse words on Slack. What am I supposed to do about it? But Grammarly doesn't fix curse words, does it? Because Grammarly's too good for it. It's too classy. Grammarly is an AI writing partner that helps you get work done faster with high quality writing. Because better writing means a stronger impact. The pen is mightier than the sword. Except when the sword is in the room. 96% of Grammarly users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing and suggestions based on your audience goals and context. Can you believe it? and data privacy and security are woven into the foundation of Grammarly. It's in its guts. All right, so Grammarly's great. Use it. I use it. I love its gentle harassment of my writing style because it does help me because sometimes my thumbs are faster than my eyeballs. Don't quote me on that. Get AI writing support that works where you work. Sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com podcast. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash left. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash left, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash l /L e f t. Rules and restrictions may apply.
2: So six weeks after that double murder, Brooks and Coral lured another couple of kids, 15-year-old Donald Waldrop and his 13-year-old brother jerry to the apartment where brooks looked on as dean strangled them both to death and a couple of months after that brooks convinced another friend of his 15 year old randall harvey to let him and dean give him a ride to work in dean's white windowless econoline van now the van Mm. was a torture facility all in itself Rings and hooks protruded from pegboard walls, and when cops finally found and searched the van after Dean was killed, they found binoculars, a portable two-way radio and 15 feet of nylon rope. And now my name is Dylan Treagle and when I
1: had originally designed the inside acrobat van mm-hmm. I never expected to be turned I am appalled at the turn of events that have happened with the sell <laughs> the sales of the- some of these vans I did- they were meant for for aerial Acrobatic tricks inside of a van inside for people it. that are traveling across the country and are bored. How many <laughs> of those did you sell? The uh... I have made upwards of ninety-seven million dollars. <laughs> selling these vans across the, across the country, um, and again. I am just, I'm happy people are bringing acrobatics to the small town of America using the rings and hooks and binoculars provided inside of these veins. Do
0: you find that most frumpy, mid-30s Texan men like all to do acrobats? are <laughs> all acrobatic. of them. It's actually
1: a surprise because you'd look at yeah. some of these men and be like, you look more of a molester right. than an acrobat. But again, I have found best in my interest of my liberty and also financial security to not ask certain <laughs> questions about the nature of the use of my acrobatics. Inside acrobatic act vans.
0: I'll take three.
2: (laughs) Now, after this boy Randall was secured in the van, the two took him back to the apartment where Dean raped him, tortured him, and shot him in the head, after which Coral and Brooks took the body to the dirt floor storage shed and buried him. Now, it's important to note Mm. at this point that Brooks maintains to this day that he did not actively participate in a single Murder. He says that his only roles in the murders was the capture or luring of the boys, and in the disposal of the bodies.
0: Isn't that the most important thing? He brought the product.
2: Yeah, it's the hardest
0: shit, right? Yeah. yeah. So I feel like he is—he's—he's he's the dealer, right?
1: <laughs> anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know if he's more guilty. Dean Corll definitely did the hard part of it. I don't know I if, guess. This, if you're a
0: cattle rancher, killing the cow and uh, and, and butchering it and 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 uh, and making it edible for people or whatever. That's more difficult than
2: serving it up to him on a burger. We're starting that- to
1: sound like the Bilderberg
2: Group, no. <laughs> We're talking about people like their cattle. <laughs> of course, Dean. He was killing months before David came on board as his official assistant. Dean's presumed first victim was a University of Texas student by the name of Jeffrey Conan, who was picked up while hitchhiking on September 25th, 1970. I think... But the disposal of Jeffrey Conan's body suggests that Dean was an old hand at the murder game by the time Conan was killed. When police found his body, they discovered that it had been covered with a layer of lime and had been wrapped in plastic. See, nowadays you can pretty much say, like, oh, he
1: Googled it. Because right, I'm right. certain there are, like, forums that would tell you how to dispose of a body. Oh, I'm sure. Honestly, I've never researched it but you can. Don't, but you can. (laughs) we will be on a watch list. Yes,
2: absolutely. But he, uh, so he had to have had some experience. He had to. I mean, it's very possible that he had killed a boy, buried the body, and the body was found, but because Houston police don't investigate murders, he didn't Get caught. I just want to hear one
0: hitchhiking story where it's like, I thumbed my way to San Francisco, had a great time for a week, and thumbed my way back to uh, Stevens Point, Wisconsin, had a wonderful time. No, there are people that I just want to hear stories. one yeah. part. Has
1: there been a good hitchhiking story man, men that look like us? Yeah. All, like, we are the only people who oh, survive Oh, the people who also look like the people who kill hitchhikers? Yes.
2: Yeah, did you never read On the Road?
1: full of
0: great hitchhiking stories. Oh, he was—he came from money. And they were all on Benzedrine. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> so the other thing about Jeffrey Conan that suggests that this wasn't Dean's first kill was that he had been gagged with a piece of cloth, was tied hand and foot, he was naked, ...and strangled to death. Now, knowing what we know about serial killers, all signs point towards this being anything but Dean's first kill, both in the process of it and in the disposal of the body. Yeah, because it seems like he's pretty far along Mm. in his fantasy at this point, and
1: and so he knows what he wants.
2: Yeah, Mm. and a lot of people uh, think that uh, Wayne Henley and uh, David Brooks weren't his first assistants... That these that he had been working with a couple of kids before that who hadn't quite worked out he murdered them and brought on a couple of new boys it's so hard that's a problem with being the young boy assistant to a man who murders young boys is that the turnaround <laughs> yeah it's through the roof yeah now after Randall Harvey Coral with the assistance of Brooks would commit another double murder their third in less than six months every single one of these six boys lived in the same two and a half square mile neighborhood where Dean had set up shop the Heights now to be fair to the parents who actually gave a shit about the kids who were going missing because not all the parents gave a fuck when their kids went missing a lot of them were like whew I've got a Deal with that piece of shit anymore? It's right.
1: either their piece of shit or the straight up a uh, fact of like we did. We barely had enough money to raise this kid too, which is even even more heartbreaking yeah, thing. Right. We like look at it and be like, we were struggling when this when our son went missing. We can easily accept the idea that he ran away yeah he yeah. went to california and played in a jug band he's he doing really well from or what p- i can uh, imagine he got picked up on the side of the road to go to work on some fucking truck yard yeah. or doing something right. like working
2: on an oil rig he got some sort and they and the only thing they can hope for is a letter a couple of months or a couple of years later with five bucks in it saying hey sorry i had to leave i've been working on an oil rig out in the gulf for the last two years yeah here's what i can contribute But really, these families, they had a lot going against them. First of all, back to the Houston Police Department, the missing persons department didn't actually look for anyone. Mm. Their only purpose was to inform families if the police department happened to come across the missing person in question, either through arrest or through death.
0: So they just took that literally. They were just like, this is where the missing persons... But not looking for them. No, no, it's just we just identify missing persons. <laughs> just, yeah. just a, oh, that He's guy's missing. not
1: there anymore. <laughs> yep. Not. Oh, so there's a hat there. I see some pants. I see some
2: shoes. I don't see a man. <laughs> He's not there. He's missing. And second, of course, as we've been hammering home again and again, not just in this episode, mm. but in the Ed Kemper episode, in the Manson episode, cops all over the country in the '60s and '70s, they didn't look for runaways, especially in poor areas, because it was just generally assumed that if teenagers went missing, they were they ran away to California or New York City or wherever. And I will put this as
1: a sort of conspiratorial view of this, is that I think that this is where there's a problem almost, is that you could disappear back in the day. Yes. You could just go live your life and not be entirely supervised and entirely surveilled everywhere you went. This is now this fear of th- these kind of crimes, stuff like allowing Dean Coral to murder 29 boys. It's directly correlates to hmm. our surveillance period with this idea now being like now no one can get away anonymously now you can't no one li- can have
0: a torture rack where they murder <laughs> a bunch of teenagers in their shed by the school
2: but henry
1: there's the mixture and again you know it's the fine balance between security
2: and freedom yeah say you have mm. a reasonable police force then maybe these things don't happen. Maybe if you have enough cops for when a family calls and says, hey, my kid is missing, here are some clues, could you look for them? Yeah, Because there were clues. If cops would have actually looked into this case...
1: Because Dean kept popping up in each one of these stories. Yeah, in all
2: these stories that he kept popping up, and they could have easily put the pieces together Mm -hmm. long before this, if only they would have had a reasonable police force. Because a reasonable police force is needed. But then
1: what you do is, is that you start with a paltry police Force, and then everyone complains that they're no police and they're not doing their job. And then when you start rolling in tanks and drones, now we're like, we well, got plenty of police. Now we got so many police, we're gonna fucking frisk you. You fell asleep on the train? We're checking your goddamn pockets. Oh,
2: yeah. Uh, yeah, you know. There's a what we're saying is there is a happy and medium. Make a, a bit of a leap. For what <laughs> happened in Ferguson? And, I have been known. Was,
1: people have said that my opinions can be extreme, but I <laughs> view myself as
2: more of an ultra realist.
0: Yeah, but I do. Under, I do agree. There is a slippery slope, and over policing is certainly a problem right yeah. now in the country.
2: And it's not just over policing. Uh, it's also you know you have something like Dean Corll that leads directly to the Satanic Panic. You know it leads to like you start getting this pedophile hysteria. This missing child hysteria uh, that Which starts. Which is
1: not like the hysteria over Lady Gaga.
2: That's <laughs> oh, right. Nor is it like the Def
0: Leppard album hysteria. And then of course Big Milk started putting kids on cartons to sell
2: products. Sell Everyone's gotta collect all the missing kids.
0: <laughs> playing with them like Pokemon.
2: Well another reason why these parents can't really be blamed is that while the Heights was small it wasn't that small. I'm not exactly sure of the population numbers of the Heights in 19 19- but currently uh, the height sits at about 15,000 people uh, and these parents they didn't necessarily talk to each other and there of course back then there wasn't any internet to spread the word right 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 and I'm gonna do the I'm doing the quick math as to how many how is
1: how what percentages is 30 people out of 15,000 let's do quick
0: math with Henry Zabrowski he's got his calculator out. I mean it's a it's a. percent. And he doesn't know how to use it. I don't know how to do it. He literally... I don't even know if we're going to keep this portion in. I do want to clarify. Henry does not know how to do quick math, even on a calculator. Yeah. I mean, I don't either... Wow. <laughs> Stunningly stupid. Henry Zabrowski. Do you? What's that? Do
1: you know how to find a
0: percentage? I also didn't stop the show to do it. So I will say yes, I do, and I will not be proven wrong because I will not attempt to do it. Let me just try this, all right? It's yes. 30 okay, divided
1: it. by 15,000, all right? That's how you'd figure that out. Point zero zero two. All right. Cool. Yeah, yeah, You're I, right. I just wanted yeah, to yeah. see. A point. Okay. Oh, all oh, this. No. None
2: of this. You works. have to <laughs> just hit a button. Oh, it's staying in. Good Lord. All right. Now, the fourth reason, as we said earlier, there were no newsmakers in the Heights. Kids who went missing, they didn't show up on the 10 o'clock news. They didn't show up on the front page of the paper. These kids were just gone. And, of course, Dean Quirrell knew this. Mm. But the first kids who actually got some notice came next. Victims, uh, I think they're 9 and 10, David Hillageist and his neighbor Gregory Winkle went missing on May 29th, 1971, and the Hillegeist family pulled out as many stops as a poor family in the Heights could afford after receiving No help from the cops. The Hillegeist hired a private investigator to search for their son. The only lead that the P.I. came up with is that the kids might have been abducted by a pimp named Chicken Joe, who operated out of Dallas, but of course, that tip didn't pan out at all. But this is yet another injustice in this story. When the cops, who refused to help the Hillegeist family, found out about the help they were receiving from the P.I., They opened an investigation into the P.I.'s credentials, hauled the P.I. into court for an expired license and spent thousands of dollars prosecuting him instead of spending a single cent, a single second. Looking for David Hillegeist. I'm yes. going
0: to say the P.I. probably already knew he was going to suggest that Chicken Joe stole the kid. Oh, yeah, I think you, that you the, the P.I. is just like, with... I'll just say Chicken Joe stole him again and collect my
2: paycheck.
1: <laughs> well, Chicken Joe is also, the a ch- chicken is a prison term for a pedophile. Yeah, well. exactly. So yeah, so yeah, Chicken kind of Joe.
2: No, the P.I. did actually put in quite a bit of time. And even when the Hillegeist ran out of money, uh, he still did work for Which them. Which is really very sad. And the Hillegeist family, the story
1: of the Hillegeist family and yeah. the man with the candy is incredi- it's brutally sad. It yeah. ruined their whole life. They spent all of their money on the PI. Then they started getting into psychics that were taking them back and forth, like Mm. saying, like seeing stuff, like Mm. I see him staring out of a window somewhere in San Antonio, and they would go to San Antonio and look for him for days. And then it's all of it. They were just dragged around. These poor, poor people. It's
0: felonious those psychics. I really do despise those people who prey on uh, wounded souls. I
2: think it was. I think they went to six different psychics, and of course, each psychic charges them a little bit of money. Just
0: immediately, if you meet a psychic, say, how many Skittles do I have in my pocket? Always have seven. If they answer any other number than seven, they're not a good psychic.
2: No, it was really, and this is what we're talking about when uh, we say if the Houston PD would have investigated this at all, Coral would have started coming up. Uh, the guys. Hilligeus- in hindsight, they did think about Dean Coral. Their son was one of the dozens of kids who had regularly visited the candy factory in the mid sixties. But Dean's parents, when their son was hanging out there, rather than being concerned that their son was hanging around with this strange older guy, they were more concerned that the boy might just be bothering a man who was trying to go about his business. Mm-hmm. Which I no, I this was exactly how my childhood was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The US yeah.
1: used to be on the child. Yeah, right? Of course. Oh, yeah. That was what we were talking about with teachers. There was a thing. I was reading some article somewhere about how, like, you know, teachers get blamed for their kids failing in school nowadays. Where right. it used to be like, I used to get very much so punished if yes. I fucked up. Yeah, yeah of me too. Course. Yeah.
2: yeah, absolutely. And I used to have that all the time. You know, I grew up in a small town where your parents would just kind of, in the summertime, they just let you go into the town. Just like, yep, go out, fuck around. Don't mm-hmm. bother me for eight hours. Be back here by 3 p.m.
0: And it's another case where I think we have to come back
2: to a middle ground. Yeah. And that's and what would rational. happen is that, you know, you'd, yeah. just, go to, you'd just swing by uh, a bar and you'd swing by like a mechanic shop and you just kind of like, hey, mister, how you doing? What's going on? And Get out of here, kid. You're getting dust
1: all over <laughs> my bar bottles. Well, really,
2: right. they'd but they'd be like, you know, you're breaking up the monotony of a 10-hour work day. So the guys were like, "Hey, come over here, little boy, little fart." And then they weird talk. times yeah. in Marcus's childhood. The 90s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a strange decade. There's yeah. no doubt about that. The 90s that. was a super strange decade. But the other run-in that uh, David Hillegeist had with Dean Corll was a few years after, you know, he had been, you know, hanging out at the candy factory. She found him again playing pool there. And she told Dean, listen, I would appreciate it if you didn't let my son hang around here anymore. But Dean, he alleviated her fears by saying, like, hey, your neighbor, Jerry Winkle, she works here part-time. Her son, Gregory, he works here, too. And Gregory would be the boy that was killed alongside David Hillegeist on May 29th. Mm. And he would also be the first of two Former candy factory employees to die at the hands of Dean Coral. And in a desperate attempt to find their son, the Hillegeist family canvassed Houston with posters bearing David's name and picture. The whole neighborhood pitched in, but none more than one of David Hillegeist's oldest friends, Elmer Wayne Henley Jr. And while Wayne Henley at the time had no idea who killed his friend, within six months of that disappearance, Wayne Henley was would become Dean Coral's second accomplice in 18 more murders over the course of less than a year. Mm.
1: Technically, Dean Coral is a job creator.
2: (laughs) I guess so. I guess so. It's just
1: interns. My goodness. We have an intern. Travis would kill for us. He would not kill for us,
0: and nor will we request him to. Good God. Uh, is that the episode for today? That's it
2: for today. Wow, the next what a ep- story. Next episode, we're going to come back with, uh, with Wayne Henley, uh, and we're going to get to where it really ramps up. Oh yeah! Oh my goodness! And
1: they say I'd like, a, we're gonna do some uh, talking about what it really means to be a sexual sadist and where that shit comes from—that horrible, horrible shit that makes you a monster that should be buried in a concrete square, twenty feet mm-hmm. underground. If you are, uh, <laughs> uh, if you do
0: work in law enforcement, just, uh, if you do work in law enforcement, go not knock on the shed's door if it's by a school. If, if you, you see a see shed what's by going a school, just
1: knock on it. See if it's the janitor's house. Go to a candy shop. Honestly Sniff if, around If you see around Smash a couple of things With a baton And yeah. just be like Just checking up Just wanting to see Just want to make sure Nothing bad's going on here oh, You got nothing going on In the pralines You just go right. digging through Your <laughs> hands through the playrooms And then take a handful And eat them in front of them Being like I can come back Anytime I want Come back Start scale Scare right. candy people <laughs> yeah,
2: Everybody <laughs> I know, Even I know if what you're, you're not a police
1: officer That's it If you see a candy shop Go in there and be like I know what you did That's and who
2: we should be Stopping
1: and frisking Candy shop owners Candy shop owners yeah. I agree
0: <laughs> All right, good. Well, I think we're solving problems here. Very nice. Uh, thanks so much for listening uh, here to this episode. I'm just going to throw out a hail yourselves. Yeah. Because uh, you guys have been so unbelievable. The Patreon page is incredible. Thank you so much.
2: Oh, my God. Yeah. If you want to contribute to our Patreon campaign, go to patreon.com slash last podcast on the left. It really is starting to turn into a life-changing amount of money, guys. It really like, is. This is. This is fantastic. It's incredible. For no.
0: those that uh, listened to uh, a couple of roundtable a gentlemen's ago, I got a phone call from City, California. Uh, Capital One. Did you pay
2: it off? I paid it off, no, ladies yeah, and gentlemen, yeah.
0: uh, because of your wonderful yeah. contributions to the Patreon. Yeah. So thank you.
2: And I've almost got all my credit card debt paid off as well. This is fantastic. You're just alleviating burdens. You're making life better for us, where we can spend even more time uh, devoting, or we can spend even more time devoted to Last Podcast on the yep. Left, including doing live shows, which we will be doing one on March 5th in Baltimore at Autobar, along with... The Cowmen, the band in which I play drums and also Hold McNeely from the Round Table of Gentlemen, uh, sings in. that Conveniently booked alongside us. (laughs) Intriguing. (laughs) Yeah, fuckers. (laughs) Not bad. Not bad at all. We're going to hear a Cowmen song at the end of this episode in case you guys are new to them. And of course, if you want your last podcast on the left t-shirt, go to cavecomedyradio.com slash merch. If you want to Mm -hmm. order t-shirts for yourself. Uh, the same quality that we have ours, of course. Go to jackprince.com. Uh, and I'd say I got something new going on right now that Uh-oh. I would like to announce I would like to direct people towards. I just uh, started doing radio again. I just started a new radio program called The Lucky Bone and Show. And it's very good. The nice. Lucky Bone Show. Thank you, Henry. What Thank is The Lucky much? Bone Show all about, Marcus? I just play music and I talk. It's a radio show. Oh, awesome. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's like FM radio, except no commercials.
0: That's great. Yeah,
2: and you can find that at mixcloud.com. Just go to mixcloud.com cloudcom and search The Lucky Bone Show. I'm going to be putting out one, maybe two a week. I love doing it so much. It feels so good to be back on radio. And thank you everyone uh, so far who's listened to the show and had such kind words to say if about it. If you make out while awesome. listening to it, it kind of feels like you're in the back of a 1950s car. Ooh, that's exciting. <laughs> Except it's, you know, you're listening to the Stooges and, uh, you know, the Dixie Cups. <laughs> yeah. And if you want to hear
1: about
0: other sociopaths, we do a political show called Abling and Top Pat. We'll be with you uh, throughout the entire process
1: here in 2016. It's really It's heating up. It's heating up, It'll be fun. Uh, And so follow us on Instagram, at at LP on the left, uh, which is fair. And also, I want to give a shout out Uh to uh, a guy called Titty Bats on Instagram, (laughs) who I love his fucking shirts. Titty Bats and Paul Bearer Press. I fucking love these shirts. Um, what kind of shirts are they? One's that's got, well, it's got b- bats with titties on them. Oh, it's literal. <laughs> and the other one <laughs> does a bunch of horror T-shirts. It's pretty sweet. I got one with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's Leatherface, but there's all Japanese writing around it. Man. Oh,
0: okay. nice. very cool.
1: And find Henry on Twitter at Henry Loves You. Find Marcus Parks on Twitter
0: at Marcus Parks. I'm at Twitter at, uh, at Ben Kissel.
2: Oh, and also uh, congratulations to everyone for hitting 10,000 members in the Facebook group. Hell wonderful. Saint. Yeah, and I also want to give a nice thank you to Sarah Richard, who sent us a... Uh, a set, uh, e- sent each of us a set of uh, DC Comics Justice League tarot cards. And it's really fucking cool. They're really yes. fucking cool. You can see Sarah Richard's art at uh, com. I love everything that she's doing. She, dra- she draws a hell of an owl. I'll say that much. <laughs> well, that's... Uh, Have you been masturbating to her pictures of owls? I mean, I've We better wrap it yeah, up. We can't get yeah. to the truth on that one. <laughs> oh, man. And, uh, yeah, you guys, uh, thank you so much, as always. You know, Heil Gein. I'll name uh,
0: Hail
1: yourselves once again. Yeah, giggle,
2: giggle, giggle. hail sit, uh, Enjoy him uh, gives you gifts a good yep. And enjoy this song from the cowman. It's called Go Fuck Yourself. No, no it's, it's not. not. It's not. We have no so- Our songs have profanity, but not the titles. Well there was a preacher rode the town. The town. of town He found a lot by the cancer bus Across Skin
1: refuses to be defined by age. That's why Agency creates personalized anti-aging formulas that smooth fine lines, lighten dark spots, and improve the appearance of dark circles. Each formula is tailored to you and prescribed by a licensed dermatology provider. Formulas are customized with clinically proven ingredients like Trenton Owen, which is up to twenty times stronger than retinol. Get your first month free at WithAgency.com. That's W-I-T-H-A-G-E-N-C-Y.com. Four dollars ninety-five cents shipping and handling, subject to consultation. Subscription required. Cancel anytime.